0: It's time to get in the zone, the Fantasy Football Zone. Hey guys, where else would you rather be? Get involved with the show by following us on Twitter at DraftThatGuy. What a piece of that championship, put it in here.
1: This is the Fantasy Football Zone. Hello, this is PJ and welcome back into the Fantasy Football Zone. Again, our draft preview specials continue. Thanks for joining us. And this time we're going to preview the generic redraft leagues. Yes, the classic fantasy football format. The one that can give you all the accolades in the office with those pools and it's also a fun way to do it as well because every year you get to switch it up. You get to get the new guys. You don't have to worry about who I'm keeping or whatnot. I mean, you get to start from scratch every year and that is awesome. So again, we got Jim Coventry, fantasy analyst with rotowire.com. We're going to break things down position to position, help you out get the best value in your redraft league. First though, I want to go over this point. Sometimes people overlook this, but you've got to know your league's scoring rules before you head into the season. I mentioned this because because NFL.com recently have switched. All standard leagues, they're gone now. Everything is PPR now on the NFL.com site for fantasy. So again, if you were in a standard league, you're not anymore because they only have PPR. So you gotta know your scoring system heading in the draft because it's also gonna help you out what position you're gonna value over another, especially as you get later in the draft as well. If you're looking for flex players, this is gonna help out. So we're gonna start off with quarterbacks. Is it gonna be six points for a touchdown thrown or four points? Usually it's four, so just make sure you know that. If it's six, then you could value your quarterbacks a little bit more than maybe running backs and wide receivers if you get the full six, but most it's four points for passing touchdown. Also, for yards gained, 10 yards rushed, is it going to be a point or a half point? See, there's some of those differences that could really benefit you or not benefit you in the league, so you got to know that. Receiving yards, usually it's 15 yards. You're you going to get a point or a half point on that, so you got to know those half points in real full point uh, scoring systems as well. Bonus points for big plays. I just joined the league a couple years ago that has this. I was just dumbfounded on how awesome it is. It really is awesome this league because you could be down big points. You could be down 40 points but if you get a 30 plus or a 40 plus yard play and if you tack on a touchdown to that, you get an extra 15 to 20 points and you're right back into things. So if you get bonus points for big plays, that might switch what positions you're going to value more than others heading into the draft. So definitely check in if you have bonus points for big plays. That will help out. Now we're up to defense and special teams category. Okay, this is where things get very Very controversial, especially on a Monday and Tuesday where you're looking at your scoring breakdown. You're like, wait a minute. He returned a touchdown for that team. Why am I not getting the six points for that? I should be getting credit for it. Make sure you check to see if it's team scoring for a punt return or a kick return. Or if it's individualized scoring. Because if it's individualized, you're not going to get it even if it is that defense special team scoring it. So make sure you see this. I can tell you from experience and many arguments with my league commissioners that I should be getting credit. No, look at the rules. We switched it to individualized this year. So again, make sure you see the defense special teams, especially with those return touchdowns. Make sure you know it's either going to be a team touchdown or individual returner touchdown. So heads up for that. And kickers as well. You get bonus points for 50 plus yard field goals made. You might get that in your league. Or you might get penalized for a miss PATs in field goals. Yes, for misses. You might have a minus two or three so make sure you know the scoring system heading into your draft because it definitely is going to help you out with your values by position especially as the draft goes on Follow us on Twitter at DraftThatGuy. This is the Fantasy Football Zone. Great to have Jim Coventry, again, fantasy analyst at RotoWire.com, back in the Fantasy Football Zone. And Jim, here we go, talking about basically those office pool drafts they draft every year of the redraft leagues.
0: Yes, yeah, very excited for those. Always a good time with friends and even strangers, some on the line. But it's a great time. Let's get at it.
1: You know what? I think these are maybe the most pressure-filled ones because with dynasty keepers and even auctions, you're drafting guys primarily maybe for the future and whatnot. I think there's a lot more pressure on these type of drafts because you got to get it right because there's no
0: next year. Oh, absolutely. I think that's the beauty of it too, that added pressure and wanting to get that hidden gem that nobody else thinks of and holding it over everybody.
1: Well, let's get right into the money position at running back right away. And Jim, in our previous episodes of Keeper League and Auction Preview, Uh, You told me, uh, don't worry about Zeke Elliott. He's got to be there. Well, he hasn't reported yet, and it sounds like he might sit out the whole year. How do we treat this situation now?
0: Yeah, it changed. I knew that August 6th deadline is passed, and he won't get an accrued year toward free agency. So apparently he's gone the route of saying, "I think you're going to cave in and meet my demand." So it, it changed the equation because that deadline was different than the Melvin Gordon situation. So yeah, and right now, now that he's past that date, it, you're right. Now it's a problem.
1: And especially in this type of format where you gotta nail these top picks. Now that you got Ezekiel Elliott and Melvin Gordon both holding out, two of the top five backs. Man, where do they slide, and is this another Le'Veon Bell situation we're looking at here?
0: Absolutely, and the only way I'm going to touch them is if they fall to a ridiculous point, which would be the second round for them, especially for Elliott. If Elliott falls into the second, but, but even then... If I want to win my one-year league, I don't know that I'm taking that chance. I'd rather have a situation where I know I'm going to get a contributor. So, I, yeah, I'd rather go that safe route and think I can win the draft in my middle rounds.
1: So you're saying if he drops the second round, potentially take him. But like you said, in the one-year league, this is a very tough situation and decision to make.
0: Yeah, if you're so if you're very um, much risk-oriented then I think in the second round you say, okay, I'll take my chance. If it doesn't work out, I live with it. But otherwise, I think if you if, if you feel solid about the rest of your draft, I'd pass up on him. I'd let somebody else take the risk. You could get a player at that point who's an established player, pretty much guaranteed points in those rounds. So, so yeah, I'm going to pass on him.
1: So now with Zeke out, do you think Saquon Barkley, no doubt, number one, even with that struggling Giants offense?
0: So last year, David Johnson was in this exact same spot that Barkley's in this year. Horrible offense, offensive line questions, and we know what happened to David Johnson. The defense has just pretty much shut him down. Mm -hmm. Basically, when you look at the analytics, not the analytics, I'm sorry, the metrics of those two players, David Johnson and Barkley, they are pretty close to the same guy. So now David Johnson's in a great offense this year. Barkley's in the situation Johnson was in. I have Johnson ahead of Barkley on my board. Now, I might take McCaffrey ahead of them both. But I still have David Johnson. I, I would right now. I would probably take David Johnson, and nobody else is doing that. Everybody else has him fifth. It's safe. Everybody builds in what happened last year. But the um, so Barkley's right there at the top with the other guys. But I think David Johnson in this system. I would take him ahead of them all.
1: Do you think David Johnson will get as many targets as Saquon Barkley did? Because there were times last year in that Giants offense that Barkley, he led the team in receptions. So do you think with the air right offense, that'll help David Johnson out?
0: David Johnson could actually go out as a wide receiver. David Johnson, him and Le'Veon Bell are the two best receiving running backs in the NFL, and it's not close. Barkley can catch the ball out of the backfield, certainly, and make a lot happen. But David Johnson, with a new coach there, is going to realize he has an amazingly talented player, and he is going to get him the ball. So I don't worry about David Johnson's receiver. The coach will figure that out, especially when the four receivers are on the field and the defenses are in light boxes. They'll throw the ball to Johnson as well as hand it off to him. So I don't think that's going to be an issue at all.
1: So if we're treating our discussion like a draft, we already have Zeke Elliott and Melvin Gordon off the board. We got David Johnson and Saquon Barkley out, and we come to Alvin Kamara and Christian McCaffrey. This is going to be a decision a lot of people are going to make. Who do you go with in this situation, and are you worried that maybe their backup is going to take away some of their carries?
0: Well, honestly, McCaffrey really doesn't have much in the way of competition for touches. They still have Cameron Artis Payne, but he's done nothing in his few years in the league. Um, they, they have a lower-round draft pick, but it's there there's like no competition they're going to the, the recent talk was from Ron Rivera is scaling back McCaffrey snaps but not his touches now that sounds kind of odd yes. but but nonetheless Camara we know is going to be spelled by Latavius Murray we know that already that Sean Payton last year when Ingram was suspended was on record saying, I can't wait to get Ingram back. Payton feels that if Kamara gets the ball too much, it saps some of his explosiveness. So McCaffrey should be a guarantee to see significantly more touches than Kamara. And they're both amazing receivers, so you have to put McCaffrey in my opinion ahead of
1: Camara. Alright, now we're up to the guy that wants you to take him number one in the draft, Le'Veon Bell. Yes, he has come out and said that, and I love when players engage with fantasy players as well. It's it's fantastic. But can you trust him, especially earlier this off season? It seemed like his coach, Adam Gase, didn't really like the signing all that much. Where are you on Le'Veon Bell?
0: So, what we like about Le'Veon Bell is we know that he will get volume. And we know volume is king in fantasy football. But remember this. The Steelers had one of the very top-rated lines, top-five line for a number of years running. And all of a sudden, when Le'Veon was out last year, James Conner was putting up ridiculous numbers. So now, how much was Le'Veon Bell the proponent of the, of the production and how much of it was the offensive line? Now he goes to a new system. With a much weaker offensive line. If he's going to try the starting and stopping stuff that he could get away with behind an elite line, if he does that behind the Jets line, we're looking at significant three yard, four yard losses play after play. I don't think he can get away with that. Keep him at the bottom of the first round.
1: Well, I know it looks like the Jets are trying to copycat that Pittsburgh offensive line, but uh, they're not quite there yet, so you're still saying uh, bottom first round for Le'Veon.
0: Yeah, because that line will never compare to what the Steelers had, because the Steelers had invested a number of first round picks in that line. Yep. In Mike Munchak was, is one of the best offensive line coaches in the business. And, and when before Munchak came to Pittsburgh, they were always about middle of the league in their offensive line ratings. And since he was there, top of the heap.
1: Up next, we got Nick Chubb out of Cleveland. And I just got to get your opinion on this, Jim. Are you concerned about after Week 9, especially when we're going to be heading into the fantasy crunch time, getting towards the playoffs, making that final push to get in? Do you think Kareem Hunt's going to come back and take away some of the load? So especially in this type of format, does that kind of scare you a little bit?
0: So this is where your stance is going to be very important on this. When Kareem Hunt was with the Chiefs, Obviously, he blew up as Andy Reid running backs typically do. That's just, the system is phenomenal. It sets up great, um, screen pass games with, um, running lanes and it works really well. But when I look at Kareem Hump's metrics, he has 45th percentile speed, 16th percentile explosiveness. His agility is good at 63rd. So he's not a superior athlete. Mm -hmm. And I think it was system. Now we look at Nick Chubb. Nick Chubb's a huge man, 90th percentile speed, and he has 50th percentile agility. Nick Chubb is an overall better talent, and I think Kareem Hunt was a product of the system in Kansas City, and I don't think Chubb gives up that job much at all except for some third-down snaps to Hunt. So I think Nick Chubb is a safe pick, and I think he may be so well-established as a stud running back for that team by the time Hunt comes back. I don't think it's an issue.
1: Fantasy Football Zone, again, being joined by Jim Coventry, fantasy analyst, rotowire.com. All right, we're up to some injury-prone guys. Very tough decisions to make here between Dalvin. Cook, Leonard Fournette, and also Todd Gurley. Who do you trust the most out of those three?
0: (laughs) Oh, that is such a great question, too. Um, So, Cook and Fournette have been injured in each of their two years that they've been around. Very, very frustrating. I'm going to take a chance on Fournette. First of all, he's the cheapest of those three. You could get him about 30 picks into a draft. So that minimizes a little bit of the injury risk because we're getting him later. And the other thing is they ran him into stacked boxes for the two years he was there. When he did play, his numbers didn't look great. Well, now they bring in John D. Filippo as their offensive coordinator. And what he will do is he will throw to his running backs on early downs. He will... Try to set up the offense so they're not always in second and long. He'll run um, more effective plays based on analytics. So I think Fournette would go above them for the draft cost.
1: And then Cook and Gurley, do you have them falling in the same area, or does Gurley fall even further because of the injury issues?
0: Yeah, it's so weird with Gurley because the news we're not going to see him on the field, even he, though he's practicing. But we're not going to see him. We're not in anything in the preseason and. The talk is becoming a little more positive. Um, They're going to use him like 65% of the snaps, but if they do that, you can't really spend a second-round pick on him for that.
1: Isn't that amazing? The guy that went number one in most drafts last year, and he has just fallen off of the radar right now.
0: When he was drafted in the NFL, he did have a knee condition, but it wasn't obviously to this point. And so you're so right. It was last year, number one overall. But now we're looking at, now this injury has become more significant.
1: Up next, Jim, I want to ask you about a running back that was being compared at times to Alvin Kamara, some of the production he was putting up last year. That's Green Bay running back Aaron Jones. Do you think he can sneak into that top 10? Is he a sleeper pick this year?
0: He definitely can. It's been troublesome, and I know it's a new coaching staff now. It's troublesome that they wouldn't commit to him. And I don't know what we don't see because we see on the field stuff. We don't know what his maturity levels like because that stuff's important to coaches, like how they practice um, and how they study and prepare. And I don't know if that's what's keeping him from a full bell cow load because he has elite measurables in terms of his explosiveness and his agility. I mean, he is right there at the top, so he easily could be a top ten back. But the team needs to commit to him and. So you're going, making a little bit of a leap of faith. If you're drafting him as a running back, too, all right, now we're talking because he has upside for more. But I can't draft him until at least maybe about 18 picks have gone off the board.
1: Up next, Jim. I want to get your thoughts on some tier three backs? We're going to start with Damian Williams of Kansas City. Do you think he can keep that production going a full year after taking over late in the year last year for Kareem Hunt?
0: I do, and he did come back to practice. He came back after 10 days of missed practices. So, and he's going to be back for the basically the entire you know preseason preparation. So he's fine. The way Andy Reid uses his back, he does back. He doesn't typically run them up the gut into a lot of traffic. He gets his running backs into space, and Williams is a very fast back, 95th percentile speed score. And so he's one of those guys, he's shifty enough, but he's going to be put in situations where he's not getting hit by three, four guys on a run. So I think he can make it through. This system is wonderful for him.
1: Okay, which Derrick Henry are we going to see this year? The one that struggled early on in the season or the one that helped many win fantasy championships last year?
0: What I always find interesting is when a running back was either not used or lightly used for most of the season, and then they get heavy carries late in the season. We see a lot of these running backs go ballistic in terms of numbers. And I always wonder if that's because they have fresh legs while the rest of the league is taking the 12, 13 weeks of pounding. And it's a huge advantage for a fresh running back to be in there. Now, remember, of all those numbers he had, he had that 200-plus yard game against the Jaguars. But that was the one game that was huge. The other ones were good. My concern is that he will continue to be run into heavy boxes, eight-man boxes. And he's a home run hitter. He's one of these guys he has great speed. But if he doesn't get to a hole, he goes down quickly. Um, so I'm a, I'm a little concerned about the coaching staff, not the talent of Henry, but that they're going to keep running him in uh, bad situations.
1: I got to ask you about Indianapolis running back Marlon Mack. Do you think his numbers take a hit because the passing game always going to be the emphasis of that indie offense? Or do you think he'll continue to rise up the board?
0: I think in today's NFL, the running backs benefit from a diverse passing attack. Again, I keep talking about this seven-man box versus an eight-man box. When you have a good passing team, defenses can never really commit to putting that extra defender to stop the run. So the few less carries a running back may get are much higher quality carries because of the light defensive box. So I moved Marlon Mack. He's at my 10th running back right now. Okay. Um, Way higher than the industry, but but in that situation, he's in a phenomenal system, and he's a really good running back.
1: I got to ask you about other tier three running backs. You think there'll be pretty good running back two options out there, ones you can really trust and uh, put up the consistent numbers for you week to
0: week. If Carrion Johnson doesn't go into the back one. Through the draft. Um, last year, they threw to him on early downs, I believe 30 times, and that was impressive. And now with Theo Riddick gone, I think that he can easily put up high end numbers for you. Another one I'm liking here is the, the rookie David Montgomery from Chicago. He has high ADP. He's getting picked up about 38 to 40 picks in the draft. But the way they're using him so far in the practices, it seems like he's going to be on the field. Most of the snaps.
1: So you like him, even with Tariq Cohen lurking in the backfield? Is this a
0: true timeshare we have in Chicago this year? So I expect them to use some two-back sets, and they, they'll motion out Cohen. I think they're going to use Cohen in the slot more this year. I think Cohen's going to get his snaps, but I think they're going to treat him like Darren Sproles a little bit, where they're going to okay. use him as an offensive weapon. But I don't think that's going to take away from the use of Montgomery. I don't think Cohen sees a lot of one-back sets on his own. Occasionally on a third down he may, but I still think that Montgomery will be in on third zones, but they'll both be on the field. So I think this is advantageous for Montgomery because having that threat of Cohen on the field and the speed that Cohen has, that keeps linebackers on their heels a bit.
1: Jim, up next, got to ask you about some of these tier four backs. Yeah, they're farther back, but some of these guys, they can provide a pretty darn good value for you and provide the key thing in fantasy consistency each week.
0: So I definitely like to take a shot on various guys. Miss Lester, the VCL, his average draft position is to about 80. And I don't believe Adrian Peterson had any chance to take work from Geis. And Geis is now healthy. He's practicing, so he, he looks to be fine. I think Peterson was an insurance policy just in case Geis didn't make it back healthy. But Geis is a legitimate first-round talent running back, even though he didn't get picked or he has some off-the-field stuff. So I like him. Royce Freeman, another one. So Denver did not run a system that was conducive to Freeman's running style last year. This year they've moved to more of that zone system where he would definitely take advantage of that. So I think Royce Freeman is going to seize much more of the work and I think Philip Lindsay's gonna end up going into the, the kind of the, the secondary back to um, a player they drafted so high last year in Royce Freeman. Jared McKinnon is going very late in drafts. So last year, Kyle Shanahan goes out of his way to sign him, and there are very few more athletically gifted backs than McKinnon. McKinnon's at least 95 percentile in all the metrics across the board. Now, we know he didn't do very much in his stint with Minnesota. Um, He was backing up Adrian Peterson, and their system wasn't very good. But in this Kyle Shanahan system and with McKinnon's speed, I don't think Kevin Coleman is a threat at all, although the fantasy community believes it because Coleman is being picked literally 70 picks before McKinnon. I don't see how he beats McKinnon out. McKinnon is extremely more talented, and we already know what Kevin Coleman is. He's not a very good running back.
1: Fantasy Football Zone. Again, Jim Coventry, fantasy analyst, rotowire.com. Joining us, we're going to move over to the wide receivers. And out of the top three guys on the board right now, DeAndre Hopkins, Devontae Adams, and also Julio Jones, who do you think, out of those three, they're going to put up the best numbers by the end of the year?
0: Between those three, I have to go with DeAndre Hopkins because regardless of the how the three receivers shake out. He just seems to be the one that nothing can overcome him. Devontae Adams has played, but he's had a number of concussions. So now I'm worried if this is going to become an issue. I thought just a little bit of concern there. Um, they're adding some more weapons. Velda Scandling now is the second year, and I think he could take some of those targets away from Adams, as can Geronimo Allison. So I think Hopkins, though, is still, even though they have targets as well, he demand commands the ball on such a scale that I think that he is going to be that elite guy. Julio Jones always puts up the yardage and some touchdowns, but not the amount of touchdowns that boost him into the Adams-Hopkins. So I'd go Hopkins, Adams, Jones with those three.
1: Now i got to ask you about Oda. Beckham Jr., do you think he challenges for that number one spot?
0: Well, I think he's number one and yeah, because you in the last question you asked me to compare the three. Yeah, I'm drafting Odell ahead of all of them. I had a seventh pick in a draft last night, and I did not think twice about it. Um, I always say the fantasy community has always been very poor in judging transcendent talents coming off of bad seasons. Beckham was in a toxic situation with the Giants similar to what Randy Moss was when he was with the Raiders back in 05 and 06. And then as soon as Randy Moss got freed and he went to a team, you know where it was, that was healthy we know what the result was Odell Beckham is a transcendent talent none of these receivers have the ability that Beckham has Beckham is the best of all of them and so yes he's in a situation now with a with a quarterback that's willing to throw the ball and i believe he's going to blow away all of these guys
1: I got to ask you about Juju Smith-Schuster is he rated too high where he's going in drafts right now
0: So he's a very difficult one to project because people are thinking because Antonio Brown is gone he's going to get more targets Juju had the fourth most targets in the league last year, so he already was seeing the lion share. You know, I mean, not the lion but a, 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 a number one type receiver workload. And now we have the situation, and maybe he overcomes it. But now he's going to see the dual teams. He's going to see the bracket coverage, and maybe he overcomes that. But when I look at his metrics. He has 74th percentile speed, which is okay, but his agility is 68th percentile. So he's not elite in any of this. And also, he has, um, in terms of his burst, his explosiveness, he's only 22nd percentile. So from a metric standpoint, he's the least talented of these upper tier receivers. And I wonder how much it was he was a product of that system with Antonio Brown in there and Big Ben. Um, So, you know what? I have him listed as a top nine receiver, but I really am not excited about drafting him.
1: Up next, a couple guys that are just off of that top line. In fact, this is going to be a tough decision for some of you to make. Two AFC South wideouts, Mike Evans and also Michael Thomas. Jim, which one do you favor more?
0: So actually, I'm looking at, book well, right now I have Michael Thomas fifth, and I'm higher than most And Mike Evans, and sixth, I have him side-by-side. Side. And um, Michael Thomas is safer. And so and he's going to go sooner. Michael Thomas will go in the first nine picks, ten picks. Mm-hmm. And Mike Evans usually will go in somewhere in the top 18 or so. So if you're picking in that first round, you have to take Michael Thomas. He is just way too safe. His quarterback is way more stable. And so I think Michael Thomas was – Obviously, once you're picking after that, then Thomas is off the board anyway. And but Mike Evans, I guess, definitely the guy in that Bruce Arians offense where he already had the 1,500 yards last year. But he's going to continue to see a boatload of deep targets.
1: Fantasy Football Zone. Again, we are discussing your yearly redraft with Jim Coventry, fantasy analyst, Rotowire.com. All right, Jim, I got to ask you, Antonio Brown, if you pick him could he potentially frostbite your season?
0: (laughs) There we go. I love that line. Um, So here's I was okay on Antonio Brown before this happened. I had him as a low-end wide receiver when I had him ranked at number 12. But what he's missing now is this chemistry time between he and Derek Carr. And that's the problem. So we know he's an elite talent. That's not a question. But if Derek Carr isn't working with him and getting chemistry and like knowing how he's going to come out of breaks, this is really valuable time for this transition period. So at this point, I will not draft Antonio Brown where he's going in is he's right about the top 20 picks if he goes outside the top 30 which will not happen then okay then that mitigates some of the risk but i think now within missing time this is problematic i don't have him as high as that once did.
1: up next jim want to go over two wide receivers kind of in the same area a lot of people are going to have a tough decision to make in this one ty hilton or amari cooper does Cooper's stock go up a little bit more now with the news that zeke elliott is holding out he might see more of that cowboys offense come his way so
0: i think Part of the beauty of Amari Cooper last year was that he had Ezekiel Elliott on the feet. And defenses in that situation always had to stack the box because Zeke was seen as the threat. And now if Amari Cooper is seen as the threat, I don't know if Dak Prescott is the elite level quarterback that can overcome that, making the tight window throws into the double coverage and, and just with the intense. I don't think he's quite there. Now, T.Y. Hilton, luck was still limited for the first half of the season last year. Most of the throws were short. They took the reins off in the second half. Hilton had 900 yards in the second half, which led the league. So I think Hilton comes in, and the other guys that are they brought in, he help him because that's the less um, attention they can pay to him. So I have Hilton, Hilton firmly ahead of Cooper by three spots on my draft board.
1: Where should you be comfortable taking A.J. Green? Yes, we know he's going to miss a couple games here, but he could be a steal, especially if he falls in some of these drafts.
0: I was on record of saying I would comfortably take him in the fifth, knowing that he's missing this time, not sure if he's completely ready when he comes back. So people seem to be willing to take the jump on him. Now everybody's in a different type of league and there's um, more casual leagues than not. So I'm still saying that if he's in the fifth round I think he's definitely worth it because he has the upside when he's in the lineup to be a, a wide receiver one. But again in the fourth round I don't think the risk is merited. Jim
1: I gotta ask you about Keenan Allen. A lot of projections they have him in that 15 to 20 range. Do you think he should go up higher on the board? So
0: here's the deal with him. If Melvin Gordon is out, Gordon has missed time in the past, Allen gets funneled more targets. People would think those targets would go to the other running backs, but Allen has become over the years the safety net for Phillip Rivers. So right now I'm I'm expecting that Gordon's not going to be around for a significant time. So I have Keenan Allen ranked at number ten right after Hilton and a couple spots before Amari Cooper. So yes, I think he's a strong wide receiver one. And the longer Gordon's out, the better for Keenan Allen.
1: Between the Viking wideouts, Adam Thielen and Siphon Diggs, who do you take? And are you a little leery of them because of their second half production last year?
0: Yeah, I have them three each, three spots lower at their position than when they're being drafted. So Thielen's draft is like the 12th receiver. I have him 15th. And Diggs is uh, picked usually the 15th receiver. And I have him 18th, which means I will not get them. This doesn't mean I'm low on them. But what it does mean is, and, uh, is that last year. The Vikings fired their offensive coordinator, John B. Filippo. When they fired him, it was because Mike Zimmer said, you're not running the ball enough. And so once he fired him and brought in Kevin Stefanski, all of a sudden people were wondering why Thielen and Diggs and Kirk Cousins were horrible down the stretch last year. The reason was the coaching change. And so here's the problem. Stefanski's back doing exactly what Zimmer wants. They're not going to be a pass-heavy team. They want to another running and defense. Therefore, I can't take Thielen and Diggs at their ADP.
1: What other Tier 3 wide receivers do you trust the most?
0: Okay, so trying to see where people are drafted based on that. DJ Moore is one who's being drafted about 50 or so picks into a draft, so he's kind of classifying as that wide receiver 3. He has elite-level speed and um, explosiveness, and he's a player I am strongly targeting. His snaps went up in the second half of the season. All of a sudden, we saw he was starting to produce with that field time he was getting. Now he'll be a full-time player this year. So he's a guy I'm targeting. Chris Godwin is going about 40 picks in the draft. And I think he has solid upside in the Bruce Arian downfield offense, and Godwin is supposed to be used in the slot. And he has all the athletic measurables that show that he will not only be a good slot receiver, but he can go vertical out of the slot. So he's a guy I'm going to target there. Allen Robinson is going over 60 picks in the drafts. I now feel that at the end of last season, I think we, we saw he was fully recovered from the ACL injury as he really came on in the second half. And I think this year with a full off season of health, I think he could be one of the steals of the draft. Another one I see is Christian Kirk, and Kirk is going between 55 and 60 picks in the draft. Before he has injury late in the season last year, he was just starting to come on. He he was he had a slow start as a rookie, but then he had five or six games where he was really starting to put things together. He's a great fit for the air raid offense. I expect him to be the best receiving option. They're going to be throwing the ball as much as they plan on it. I believe he will be the best beneficiary, and he'll be a steal on draft day. Last one I see here, two more. Uh, Marquez Velda Scandling from the Packers. I believe that him running routes on the outside with 97 percentile speed, This is something Aaron Rodgers is going to take advantage of, especially with the double teams on Devontae Adams. And so I think Belda Scanling is in for a great season. And the last one, D.D. Westbrook. Um, He's going about 95 picks in the draft. And the reason I like him, Nick Foles is not a great quarterback. We know that. But what Nick Foles does is he throws the ball in the middle of the field very well. D.D. Westbrook profiles as their slot receiver. And He is very fast, 84th percentile 40-yard dash time. And he is a guy that's going to be able to take advantage of what Foles does best. And I think despite them wanting to run a lot, he will be the main beneficiary of that and be a good wide receiver three for you.
1: Again, we're talking to Jim Coventry, fantasy analyst, rotowire.com. We're going to go to the quarterbacks, but first I got kind of a draft question for you. You know, after the top five or six running backs they come off the board, would you consider maybe taking Patrick Mahomes instead of going wide receiver at that route? Because, you know, sometimes these quarterbacks, they can give you 25, 30 solid points each week. You can bank on that more than the wide receivers or even the top wide receivers are sometimes volatile. Would you potentially go quarterback with those top backs off the board maybe if you were at the sixth or seventh pick and go with Mahomes
0: I completely understand the argument and the way you framed that it does make sense but I really feel that 12 to 13 quarterbacks into a draft I have enough production where I feel comfortable now if we're in leagues that are two quarterbacks that's another story but in one quarterback leagues I believe that I will be Okay, waiting on my quarterback, and I want to make sure I get those elite running backs and receivers because that's those are the positions where once those top guys are gone, they're gone. But I, I'll, my, my opinion is I always can get a quarterback. I feel
1: stay status quo with the quarterbacks.
0: Yes, so Matt Ryan always gets ignored. He's going about seventy picks in the drafts, and and he's always going to be a guy. He's not going to have, he's not going to be the number one quarterback overall because he doesn't run, but he's going to put up into the deep fourth thousands in yardage. He's gonna put up around thirty touchdowns. Jameis Winston is in a great spot this year with Bruce Arians and three great receiving options. Cam Newton, they really reprogrammed him before the injury last year where He's making use of these dynamic speed targets short in the field. Um, so there are guys that I feel I can get later. That They may not put up Mahomes' numbers, but they're not going to be so far off that I feel I'm at much of a loss.
1: Okay, say Mahomes is off the board and you want one of the top QB options. Who do you pick between Andrew Luck and Deshaun Watson?
0: So up until about a week ago, I would have said Andrew Luck. But I'm concerned this calf injury that was around since May or April even, they're still saying it's problematic. Well, a strain cap, that, that, that's months. So right now, I have to move luck down my board because of that uncertainty. And like I said, there are so many good quarterbacks. I can't take a guy who's injured coming in when I can get somebody else. So Deshaun Watson definitely moves out of luck because of that.
1: Jim, what's your thoughts on Aaron Rodgers with a new offense and head coach Matt LaFleur coming in? Do you think his numbers will increase, and could he return to that top spot?
0: I have him firmly ranked as my number four, and it's like a definite teardrop after Mahomes, Watson, and before his injury luck. And then I had Rodgers. Like, you know, he got tiered just beneath that. I don't think he puts up no quarterback one over all numbers because I don't think he has the diverse receiving core that Mahomes has. And then Deshaun Watson, just with his connection with Fuller and DeAndre Hopkins, I don't think he has that. So I think he's a very firm quarterback four, but I wouldn't make him a candidate to go above that.
1: Well, what about Baker Mayfield? We know he can crush some beers, but will he do the <laughs> same to opposing defenses this year? Do you like Baker?
0: I do. I have him as my eighth quarterback. Um, I have him a little lower than Newton and Winston. I think the pass volume with Winston is going to be too great, um, and I think Newton still is going to run for a few hundred yards, and, and I think those give him the edge over Baker, but there's nothing wrong with taking Baker Mayfield. I just think that um, – I, I think – their offense isn't set up for him to be an elite performer.
1: Jim, it's strange for me to say that these guys have dropped to the middle of the pack. Tom Brady and Drew Brees, where do you like them in drafts?
0: I won't draft Brady. I have him as my 22nd quarterback. And look, imagine that, 22nd quarterback, right? If Brady heard that, I think he'd go out and throw for 500 yards tomorrow, right? Yes, he would. (laughs) He would, and he would do it the next week as well. But I see that Bill Belichick has always run an offense that suits his personnel. Brady's deep ball efficiency has been dropping for years. It dropped an additional 11% last year. I believe that, and they're adding running backs, and they're, they have like four or five tight ends on the roster. I believe they're going to run a lot of heavy personnel, two tight ends, three tight ends, and they're going to run out of that a lot. They're going to take safe throws, occasionally a few deep shots, but I don't think it's going to be a downfield passing attack. I think it's going to be very methodical, 12, 14 play drives, and I think they're comfortable with that. So I don't think Brady gets the pass volume, and he doesn't throw enough deep passes to be a fantasy starter right now. I'm warming up on Breeze a little bit, but here's the problem. Last year, I believe he had it was a six percent touchdown rate. Well, his touchdown rate the two previous seasons was like four and a half, and it's a massive. It doesn't sound like much, but last year he didn't have the pass attempts that we would want out of our starting fantasy quarterback, but the mirage was his his touchdown rate and it was like the highest since like two thousand and five or something like that. Mm-hmm. So he it was an outlier year for him. So I think that at their heart, they want to run the ball a lot, throw when they have to, but I don't think they want to put the team on Breeze's shoulders. So I have Breeze as my fourteenth quarterback, borderline quarterback one. Mm-hmm but he's not the guy that I want to trust to start every week. What
1: about Jared Goff? You know, Can he even come close to duplicating the numbers he put up a year ago?
0: He can. I'm leading the charge on saying that the Rams offense got figured out last year. I believe Vic Fangio figured it out when the Bears played them, and then I was on record as saying that the Patriots would copy that blueprint in the Super Bowl, and they did, and you notice the Rams couldn't even score a touchdown. If the league has indeed figured them out and there's a blueprint, Eric Goff, in my opinion, is not a good quarterback. The system was able to carry him when defenses couldn't figure out what they were doing. Now that they know that you jam the receivers, you stop the outside zone run by putting defensive ends out wide. Now, all of a sudden, he's going to have to be a quarterback. He can't just have everything handed to him. And I'm not willing to take that risk. So... If defenses haven't really figured out the Rams, then Goff can repeat those numbers. I'm banking on the league catching up with them.
1: Fantasy Football Zone. Again, we're talking to Jim Coventry, Fantasy Analyst with Rotowire.com. i got to get your thoughts on Kyler Murray. Say all these top quarterbacks are going off the board. You want to sneak in, try to get Murray. Is he a good option, especially in these redraft yearly leagues?
0: So one thing that we've learned in fantasy football in terms of quarterbacks is that running quarterbacks equal the cheat code. Yeah, Josh yeah. Allen was like the number one quarterback on the stretch last year. Um, we saw some good numbers out of um, Lamar Jackson, who really wasn't even throwing the ball hardly. So running quarterbacks, have a huge advantage in fantasy football. And with this air raid system, when they're going to run four receiver sets, which are called 10 personnel, we've seen, it's not a heavily used personnel set in the NFL, but when it is running lanes for the quarterback abound. And so Murray is going to be in a fantastic spot to run. And then, if defense are on their heels at all, with four receivers on the field and with the play volume they want to run, yes, I, I'm not going to aggressively target him. I have him 10th at my quarterback list. There are some people that have him as high as five. Um, but I definitely think he will finish the top 10 quarterback because of his running ability.
1: Fantasy Football Zone. Again, we're talking with Jim Coventry, fantasy analyst at rotowire.com. We're going to move over to the tight end position. But I've got this scenario as well for you in the draft. People do this a lot, I see, in leagues. What are your thoughts on this? Top 10? five wide receivers. They're off the board. Do you then go the Travis Kelsey route and try to grab him off since after the first three tight ends, that position tends to fall off pretty deep?
0: A lot of people are doing that, and I think it's a smart pick for them. I think it definitely works and I totally cannot argue with them. Personally I am targeting a few different tight ends at a much cheaper cost because again I'm concerned about that drop off at running back and receiver and being out in the cold. But I definitely see the same argument for going after Kelsey because you want to hammer on that position in your league. So yes, I definitely would recommend that somebody who wants to do that to do that. But I always thought in drafts if I took a tight end early, I always felt it was tough to piece together running backs, and receivers. Either way you do it, you'll put together a successful team. That's my answer. So I I won't do it, but I definitely can't say it's a poor idea.
1: Will Greg Kittle's production go up even more this year with a healthy Jimmy Garoppolo back?
0: So George Kittle is the most athletically gifted tight end in the league by far. He has 95th percentile speed, 100th percentile agility, and 89th percentile explosiveness. There is no player like him in terms of ability. Kyle Shanahan knows this. Uh, This is part of the reason why he broke the record for yardage after the catch last year. It wasn't he got lucky or it wasn't just, you know, an oddity. This guy is so crazy talented that Kyle Shanahan will make him his number one receiver just using them differently than we've seen in the past. So George Kipp, I believe, will repeat.
1: So up next, we're going to talk about Zach Ertz. Say the top 20 wide receivers are off the board. Should you be comfortable then going that route since uh, he's going to be up there on those
0: tight end rankings? So most people will comfortably have him as their number three tight end. Deshaun Jackson's in town. They're going to use Dallas Goddard a little more when they use two tight end personnel. Uh, they have Miles Sanders who will get some work at running back. I don't think the crazy target volume that made Zach Ertz a top three tight end is going to be there. So he still will be a very productive player, but I think at his draft cost, I don't think he merits it this year.
1: Do you think OJ Howard, he can emerge as maybe the number one overall tight end by the end of this year, especially with Arians and that pass-happy offense now?
0: He definitely will emerge and take a jump forward, but I don't think he has any chance of matching the Kelsey Kittle role, because in their own ways, those players have roles in the offense that, uh, like for instance, Tyree Kill is a deep threat, and a decoy guy, but they use him a ton for huge yards, but Kelsey is like kind of their 1A receiver, whereas Kittle's the one receiver. O.J. Howard is going to be their number three. They'll have Evans and they'll have Godwin, and then they'll have O.J. Howard after that. I would take him as my third tight end, waiting a little later in the draft. He won't put up crazy numbers because he won't command that type of target share that Kelsey and Kittle do.
1: What about Jared Cook? Can he break the Saints tight end curse of uh, no production?
0: (laughs) You know, if it's going to happen, Cook has had two good years in a row now. And we remember him when he was young and inconsistent, athletically gifted, but he just wasn't a producer. But as he's gotten older, I think he's really become comfortable with the way he runs routes, understanding the preparation, worked on his hands. So we know that Drew Brees is going to throw the ball over the middle of the field. That's where he's most comfortable throwing. So I have Cook as my eighth tight end, and I'd be very comfortable. I took him in one draft um, on Sunday. I'd definitely be comfortable to take him about 80 picks into a draft.
1: Jim, I know in our past shows, you really like Hunter Henry at tight end. Do you think he should be going higher than where he's ranked right now?
0: So I have him right behind um, OJ Howard, Evan Ingram. So I have him as my sixth tight end overall, and, and I think his draft value is about fair. Actually, maybe he has a little bit of a steal. The only thing I'm worrying about is I noticed that the Chargers were among the league's slowest-paced teams last year. They were running like among the, the fewest offensive plays. So I still think Hunter Henry's gonna be an excellent value as a you know, again like a six tight end off the board, but I don't think he has much more upside. I think you're getting what you're paying for in your draft, which is good. You want a stable tight end who's gonna produce and not worrying about you know, having a guy where the floor falls out, but I don't know that he has more upside than that.
1: So we've gone over some of the big names of the tight end position, but again with tight ends that position always drops off. So who are some other tier three names that will help out?
0: A player who's completely going overlooked, he's going over 140 picks in the draft, is Delaney Walker. Delaney Walker's 35 years old. He broke his ankle in week one last year, fully recovered. He is older, but we know that tight ends can produce later into their careers. And he's a guy that didn't play heavily. He didn't really play much until he was around 30. He was like a blocker, part-time blocker with San Francisco for a long time. Mm -hmm. So I think Delaney Walker hops right back in. And he's always, when he's played, been like since he's... Left to 49ers, he's been like a top five tight end all the time. I have him ranked as 10, but I think he's a guy if you wait, there's your later tier tight end that can put in starting value for you. Definitely looking at him. And we didn't uh, mention Vance McDonald. And he is getting picked as a top 10 tight end, but I believe he's a guy that has the ability to end up as high as number three. I don't say he will, but he, but he definitely, will, like Hunter Henry, he'll earn his draft value. But he, I think, has a little more upside than Henry because he could become, that de facto, second best target in that offense in Pittsburgh.
1: Another guy in this tier, I want to ask you about Mark Andrews, a tight end for Baltimore.
0: He's one of the tight ends that had over 500 yards, and there's some stat out there when when tight ends have over 500 yards, they end up doing very well. But when I watched the games last year – I remember at least on two occasions where the defense was so packed in to stop the run, he just got behind. There was like nobody back. And so literally 15 yards down the field, he just caught a lollipop and ran the rest of the way. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking he was like the only game in town because they really didn't have anybody at receiver. So I I thought a couple of those plays were flukish that, that really padded his yardage. And I think that now they brought in some receivers. Um, they brought in another running back. I don't think he's going to get a lot of targets and I don't think he's going to have those fluke plays padding his stats so I'm very very skeptical that they're going to use him enough and he's going to have those big plays to justify being like a high tight end
1: Fantasy Football Zone again talking with Jim Coventry Fantasy Analyst, RotoWire.com As we round out your team we're going to move over to the defenses. Jim, the Bears defense,
0: take them number one Year over year we see these statistics come out where it's not sustainable when defenses have like an outlier year and the the Bears definitely had an outlier year with the turnovers, the takeaways, I should say, and those typically just don't work the same way the next year. I think the loss of Vic Fangio is huge. As good as the talent on the Bears defense is, Fangio is a master crafter of defenses, and I think that they will still be a top. Starting defense, but they're not going to be that far and away the number one. They might be top; they'll be on top five, mm-hmm. but they're not going to be that weak winner for you.
1: I got to ask you with the with this position category. You know, is this the biggest crapshoot there is in fantasy? Just picking a defense because you think this team coming in, especially like the Rams last year. You know, you might have grabbed them high because oh, they're going to put up some numbers, and they disappointed you big time last year. I mean, is there any other position you're like? It's always a wild card that pans out for them. It seems like
0: it is. And here's my advice. Every year, I ignore the top defense in the previous year. I try to just look at a team that I think might be up and coming, and I just target them. And I've had more success with that route. Like when you mentioned the Rams last year, the Jaguars were coming off that insane season. Yep. And they were getting picked in the ninth round. And again, it was just like the Bears of last year. They had that crazy amount of turnover takeaway stuff, and, and it didn't repeat. It just didn't happen again.
1: I got to ask you this question, too, Jim, because this happens in a lot of drafts where somebody around the table is going to jump up and draft. To defense eighth or ninth round, or they're jumping ahead of the curve, and all of a sudden you're thinking, Well, great, here comes that run to screw things up. Where do you think the defenses should start going?
0: Yeah, this is the beauty, I think, of my philosophy. When I'm taking a defense that wasn't touted the previous year, nobody's on them. So I'm taking them with my second, to last pick. Maybe early earliest I'm taking them is the 14th round, uh, depending how many rounds are in my draft. But it's definitely like the last two rounds I'm taking them. I'm not taking them any earlier. It is a crapshoot, and I'm more likely not to stream defenses after a point the one I took didn't work out. But the, the rules are so slanted to the offense, and I know the Bears put a lot of points last year, but most of these fantasy defenses, even the good ones, they don't put up big points. It's really a small pie of points. So this year, I'm looking at the 49ers. Their they offense should be strong with everybody returning. And they added a couple pass rushers and Nick Bosa and D Ford. And, you know, that was a big deal with the Bears. Everybody said the Bears don't have cornerbacks. Well, all of a sudden, we have a pass rush. Guess what? Your corners do not have to cover for six seconds. Yep. So I think that adding those two pass rushers to San Francisco, nobody's going to draft the 49ers. So, boom, there you go. Grab the 49ers. If it doesn't work,
1: stream. And we're heading down the home stretch. Jim and I got this kicker question for you. If you pick a kicker before round fifteen, should you be kicked out of your league?
0: <laughs> yes. But what we should do better is we should just eliminate kicker in all our leagues. Yes. That's I, that's what I'm pushing for, um, and, and I'm in a number of leagues where that's happened. Um, some of the industry leagues, so they just eliminated it. And I think really defenses could be the next to go, but, mm-hmm. but for sure, kickers need to go, just get rid of them, get them out of your league. You don't need them. It's, it's a crap shoot worse than defenses. And, but if you have to yet, yeah, if you're taking them late, you should be kicked out of your league or you're taking them before late, I should say. Yeah. yeah
1: out my, my my story used to be i always would draft jason hansen so then i had plans for thanksgiving dinner
0: that's awesome I love yeah. it. And there were days he totally crushed it on thanksgiving e- ex- exactly so
1: if you got holiday plans pick a kicker that's playing in those holiday games and that could help you out that's awesome Jim Coventry once again joining us, a fantasy analyst, rotowire.com. Thank you so much again for the great wisdom here and helping us out. And everyone, I can't say it enough, check out Jim's stuff, especially the previews on the team's fantastic stuff, and definitely help you out for the drafts. Jim, thanks again for your time.
0: Thanks. And my Twitter handle is at Jim Coventry NFL. Feel free to follow me, links to all my stuff. I have a lot of free stuff out there too, so definitely feel free to take a read.
1: Jim, again, thanks for your time. Have a great day. Follow us on Twitter at DraftThatGuy. This is the Fantasy Football Zone.